Hello, Texans. Welcome to the podcast. And it's such a special one today. I really mean that because normally I'm lying. No, I'm not. Uh, but I've got John Lopez here in studio. And it's really bringing back a lot of memories because you and I did shows together for a long time. And actually, we used to do these reunion shows once a year. We did. We have to get back to that if Landry goes on vacation. Anyway, it's great to see you. How's it going? How does it feel to be here at NRG Stadium? We got the band back together. It's all, man. I know we're going to end up talking about the Texans, but uh, I'm just excited, man. I'm 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 just so excited. Mm -hmm. I'm excited, obviously, to 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 get back with you. We we had a run, baby. I mean, we We had a really good run, and it was fun, and it was compatible, and it was. Uh, I think well received. Uh, we we went from uh, so-so ratings to the top of the world. Yes, we did. I we, mean, we ended. Yeah. we ended on top. Yeah, we did, which I'm very proud of because our last shows together, morning shows, were May of 2012, which was last Tuesday to me. Yeah, but uh, those were kicking butt. And then I came here and did all the Texans radio stuff, and mm-hmm. you worked with Nick Wright. Yeah, after that. <laughs> Am I the most normal of your co-hosts? And that's, I don't know. May, maybe Sadly, I'm not. you are. <laughs> Sadly. Sadly, no, it's I, true. I've been, I've been really, really, really lucky um, with to fall in with, with you. Um, keep in mind, I'd been doing radio since 06 full-time. With or, Ted DeLuca. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then 09, we, we get together uh, kind of sneakily. Yes. Uh, doing auditions we and did. stuff on the lowdown. Yes, we did. Uh, I think the under the cloak of darkness <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> I was, I was like, uh, I was full time at the other station um, for I want to say four months, knowing I already had the job at six ten. They were waiting for my contract to run out. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. So like, That's don't weird. ever tell anyone that John Lopez can't keep a secret. Yeah. Like I was doing the show over there like for four months. I remember that because I was working with an array yeah. of co-hosts yeah. after Andre left. Yeah. And, you know, some of the guys did a really nice job, and some of the guys are over at iHeart right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not everybody. They had me with John Wessling for a few days. <laughs> <laughs> it was weird. <laughs> Gavin Spittle, who's now in Dallas. He was just trying to hold it together, and yeah. then you came over. And I think we got along right away. I think the chemistry really kicked in. It takes a couple of months to really get sure. It going. Sure, but but you are the most normal I've ever worked with. <laughs> <laughs> Nick uh, uh, Landry. Nick is awesome. Yes. but boy, you, you know he, he he and I. I mean, obviously, he came to my kid's wedding uh, this past uh, November. I mean, he, we're still very very tight. I consider him a great friend, but it it's it's high intensity. Yes. You and I brought the intensity when it needed to be bring brought, but uh, but we were also, I think, just sort of like we are now and have been since then, is like just friends talking, yeah. you know, yeah. talking on the radio, uh, and and obviously mixing it up, you know, if we disagreed, but that there's that. So yeah, no, I I think uh, you you get the medal. <laughs> okay, so you were with the Houston Chronicle. We all know that. Mm-hmm. And one thing I really liked about working with you and just the prospect of working with you was that you've covered everything on the planet. World Cups, Olympics, Super Bowls, yeah. all the biggest events you can think of. You're a columnist with the Chronicle. Mm-hmm. And you left the Chronicle voluntarily. Yeah. Left the Chronicle and said, I'm going to do the radio thing. It was, And that was at a time when people weren't really doing that yet. And most of them leave involuntarily now. Yeah. I, I, uh, I remember the, the, the day very vividly. Um, I was happy. 
I, mm-hmm. I loved working there. I was there 17 years. Yep. Uh, I was there 17 years. I was a columnist, uh, you know, which is the top rung on the ladder over there in the sports department. But I just remember very vividly talking with Jan, my wife, and, and, and saying, you know, I had been doing some radio part-time. I had done some Oilers games, a pregame and halftime in Spanish. Uh, mm. And kind of liked the, the, the instant reaction there. And then I started doing some part-time, and then they hired me full-time. They wanted to hire me full-time over there for not nearly the money I was making at the Chronicle. I mean, I left a six-figure job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember sitting with Jan and, and, and just kind of looking at her, and, and she agreed. I said, let's just bet on ourselves because I really think this Internet thing is going to take off. <laughs> <laughs> Prospects are good. No, I really think it's going to take <laughs> off, uh, and newspapers might be in trouble. Mm. So it was a classic bet on yourself, and, right. and, and we did, and it worked out. Wow, that's amazing. All right, so I want to get into the early days here. The mm-hmm. early days of John Lopez, who... You know, people don't hear about this enough. San Antonio, how did you get into the business? I know you went to Texas A&M, but did it start out in high school covering sports? When did you begin? Mrs. Foley, seventh grade English class. I was playing football, basketball, track, all that stuff, and just chatting her up, you know, Mm -hmm. as you did (laughs) about everything. And uh, I'll never forget it. And she's still with us. Uh, She's still a Facebook friend of mine, Brenda Foley. Um, she said, you need to combine your two loves. She said, you love to write, because I did. I always loved to write, uh, even in fifth, fourth, fifth grade. But in seventh grade, she goes, we have a school paper. Would you want to write for it? And I, I said, yeah, I guess. So that was, let's see, that was 1975, I believe. Mm-hmm. I've been working in the business ever since. Wow. Uh, high school newspaper. Uh, nobody in my family had ever gone to college, like ever, not even uncles, cousins. It was like you you go to high school, then you go work at Kelly Air Force Base or construction or, or something. My dad worked at Kelly Air Force Base in San Antonio Civil Service. And I, and I went to them and I said, I want to go to college. I want to get a journalism degree. And without blinking an eye, and we didn't have very much money, without blinking an eye, my dad said, whatever we have to do, we'll do it. So I took out two loans, I got a small scholarship, and then I got a grant, and I worked uh, usually usually two jobs the whole time I was at A&M, and I got the degree. You got the degree. So yeah. what are you writing during your school years? The ba- do you have time to do it? I did. I worked at the battalion. Okay. That was one of the two jobs. I got there my freshman year, and I applied to work at the battalion school newspaper, and that was like, I want to say it was like $160 a month. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then I had a bunch of other jobs. I was a stringer for the Dallas Morning News, which those who don't know, it's basically freelance. If Like you go to every practice in every sport and send them the notes right. because they can't bring a writer down right. from Dallas. That's a great gig, though. Yeah, and, and, and so I did that. I was a bouncer at a, at a club once for about six months. All right, wait, hold up That there. did not end <laughs> well. It did not end well. Wait, was there a work incident? <laughs> So let me, let me t- I'll tell you one story. So most drunks, when you tell them to leave, they leave. Really? I found that out when I was there. And they I was, intuitively as you know, know something. Yeah. yeah. And you're a big dude. You I, played high school football. I, and I was on the, the, the weightlifting team at A&M. The weightlifting team? All right, yeah. we have a lot to get to. <laughs> right, we, we might need some more time here. Uh, I did a little weightlifting and wrestling at A&M. And so I wasn't little, but I wasn't enormous. Uh, and so most drunks, when you throw them out, they just leave because they're drunk and they, they get it. Right. Or their girlfriend or their boyfriend or whatever. Like two weeks before I decided, well, two weeks before I left, because I decided to quit right away, 
there was this big cowboy dude that came in with some of his friends, and he was messing around with, uh, uh, you know, just being belligerent with uh, a couple of guys and their dates. And it was like straight Ooh. out of, you know, do you mind if we dance with your dates? You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we do mind, but what are we going to do about it? Exactly. <laughs> so the guy, one of them guys got brave and started kind of shoving him around. Well, this cowboy went to his truck, got a lasso, threw the lasso in the club, roped the guy, dragged him out, and beat him up. And I'm calling the cops, and I'm trying to break him up and all this other stuff. And uh, I never really got hurt, and you just kind of roughed up a little bit. Uh but the, the cops came, arrested him, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, yeah, I think, uh, I think this writing thing or the radio thing is going to be a little better for me. <laughs> and being Dalton from yeah. Roadhouse, <laughs> <Yeah>. Swayze, <laughs> Wade Garrett. <laughs> showing on my karate moves. What else did I do? Um, I, I, I mowed some lawns when I was at A&M. So anyway, just made our way through college. And then right out of A&M, um, I got hired at the Brian Eagle. I was only there for about three months before Dan Cunningham, who ended up being the editor at uh, the Houston Chronicle, sports editor at the Houston Chronicle, and managing editor ultimately, uh, called me and uh, said uh, he wanted me to, to cover uh, the San Antonio Spurs. And so I covered the Spurs from the time I was 24, 23, 24 years old until I got hired at the Chronicle in 1990. And so I had Larry Brown. This was the coaching staff that I covered at, in San Antonio. The head coach was Larry Brown. The first assistant was Greg Popovich. The second wow. assistant was R.C. Buford. Jeez. The third assistant was Alvin Gentry. Oh, my gosh. That was they were the all on the same staff. They're all and ultimately head coaches or general managers. And were you flying on the team plane or something yeah. or occasionally would take it? How yeah, did that work? That, that was the glory days of – and there's a whole other discussion to be had about how the media relationships are and stuff mm -hmm. now uh, and, and media. Because they would always put the media, and it was just me and another writer, Glenn, uh, Glenn Rogers uh, from the Express News, and I was at the light. Um, we would get on the plane and ride, ride in the back. Right. <coughs> Team would get on. Or, and then on the buses, I sat behind the coaches. And so I was behind R.C. Buford. R.C. RC and I got really tight. Um, R.C. Buford and Greg Popovich, most days on the bus, was my spot. And I learned more basketball. I mean, sure. it's, it's why I, because I've always loved basketball. It's why I started coaching at a, at a relatively high level because I knew I, I was using Spurs inbounds plays and Kansas plays and uh, Pomona Pitzer where, where Popovich coached and, and, and picking their brains. But on planes, I would ride in the back, and that was the smoking section. And you've heard this story, but maybe some listeners haven't. Um, so Frank Burkowski was a, a, I was pretty tight with him, too, on the team. He was a forward. He played for the Lakers, played for the Spurs. I think Milwaukee also. Um, and I got to be really tight with him. Frank Burkowski, one of his best friends in Manhattan Beach in L.A. where he lived, was Charlie Sheen. Mm. And so the smoking section was the back of the plane and the media section. So it was me, Glenn, a couple of other guys, and Charlie Sheen went on three or four trips with us, so he would sit right across from me. Oh, my God. The whole time. And keep in mind, this is prime, prime platoon, Charlie Sheen. <laughs> Wall Street, yeah. I mean, yeah. this was late 80s. Right. Like, he was the guy. He yes. was Leonardo DiCaprio right now. Yep. Like, That's he, a good point. He was, he was the top of Hollywood. Good comparison. And so I got to know Charlie pretty well. I don't know if he'd even recognize me now, but we, we would hang out, talk, long plane trips. And uh, I, it, was, it was one of the most bizarre things. Because I was still young. I was in my 20s. Yeah. And um, got, getting to know him was great. So we're in L.A. and we have an off day. 
and it was Clippers and then Lakers, and then an off day in between. And usually I'd go to the horse track or, or watch a hockey game or whatever. Charlie comes up to me after the game. There's two great Charlie Sheen stories. Mm. <laughs> Charlie comes up to me after the game and says, hey, hey, <laughs> we're having a little get-together after the game. Oh, my gosh. This place or that place, you want to come? I'm like, heck, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> You're in your 20s. <laughs> yeah, heck, yeah. <laughs> so we walk in, and they rope off this whole back end of this uh, restaurant, and everything you could imagine <laughs> is there. <laughs> I mean, like from everything. It's, Let's just say everything. It's Charlie Sheen in the 80s. We got it. <laughs> everything you can imagine. Yeah. So we kind of like, you know, I had a great time, obviously. We did another trip to Las Vegas. Larry Brown was such a gambling addict. We actually held San Antonio Spurs training camp in Las Vegas one year. <laughs> What? Where are you going to have training camp was in Las Vegas. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> and so Brick and Alvin Robertson, he had his own issues, and I were, were gambling and stuff. And Charlie shows up, and, and another more debauchery. But he tells me over the course of the day, hey, we're, we're going to play a preseason game in, in L.A. And I had told him previously that I was a huge, huge, huge fan of his dad, Martin Sheen. And he goes, my dad's going to be there. Uh, I want to introduce you to him. I said, hell yeah, thank you very much. So we're going and we're playing the Lakers. The game's over. Keep in mind, this is a 7.30 start in L.A., 9.30 start back home. That right. means you are on tight, tight, tight deadline. Oh, yeah. This yeah. was before everything. You had to type your story, send it, like, boom, or else right. they, would, they would print the paper without the Spurs story, and the Spurs are the biggest thing in, you know, in San Antonio. So I'm, like, outside the Lakers locker room, like, just sh shaking, nervous, Gonna try to get a couple of quotes from Kareem and Magic, and mm -hmm. you got to put them in the story, right. and then and then book it back upstairs and or, or back courtside and file my story. So I'm like waiting to get into the locker room, and I feel a tap on my shoulder, and it's Charlie Sheen, and I'm you lose your head when you're on deadline. Yeah, and I turned around, and I went, Charlie, I can't right now. Oh, and then the doors open, and I and I walked in. First of all, I told that I did that to Charlie Sheen. <laughs> like, Charlie, yeah. I can't right now. As I'm walking in the door, I realize Martin Sheen was sitting behind, was standing oh, behind no. him with his hands clasped in front of him, waiting to meet me. Oh, Charlie no. Charlie brought him down from the forum club, the suite level, to meet me. I feel horrible <laughs> just listening to this. <laughs> and I'm walking in and I'm like, oh my God, what did I just do? And so I file my story, get it, go up to the forum club, and I'm like, Charlie, I am so sorry, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, nah, don't sweat it, man, I get it. And Martin Sheen was there, and I met him. But, oh, good, uh, good. But I was like, Oof. I can't right now. I was sweating that one out And Martin for you. Sheen was sitting back there just like his... This is this is like watching that Lakers show on HBO. <laughs> Just imagining you in that scene. I got to go get quotes from Kareem and Magic, and I got Martin Sheen right here. Unbelievable! It was. Those are my two favorite Charlie stories. All right, so you're covering the Spurs. You're on the plane now. All right, so you and another writer are regularly on the team playing. Oh yeah. This is something that doesn't happen. And the today. bus. Now it might happen with internal media. Just don't it, be late. Yeah, don't be late. <laughs> right, they're leaving without you. Plus, they trust you because today in the era of Twitter, social media, you're seeing. Well, you were seeing it then, and you yeah. can certainly see it now, and maybe especially then. Whatever you saw that you could not share with yeah. the public, there was a trust involved. It, you hit the nail on the head, and I think that's like I said, it's almost like a whole podcast in and of itself. Like 
Pop and RC would tell me things without even having to remind me, you cannot right. repeat this. Right. Every once in a while, like when Alvin Robertson got traded, they were telling me they were going to do that. I go back to him. I said, I'd really like you just ask him. Yeah. I'd really like to be the first to have that. Don't worry. We'll let you know. And you get it. Okay. It's a trust level. Yep. Um, but I, there were some things that I saw. I mean, I was oftentimes staying on the same hotel floor as the players. Oh, gosh. I saw things, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I saw things. Things, yes. <laughs> I saw uh, Alvin Robertson attack uh, Walter Berry with a butter knife because they were mad at each other, like trying to stab him well, with a butter knife. At least it was a butter knife and not something <laughs> <Yes>. worse. <laughs> but, and, and then that just to kind of abbreviate the whole, like, my theory on this, like, to this day, I'm sure, and I haven't talked to Pop in years, you know, other than a press conference type situation, I could probably go up to him and he'd probably, as surly as he comes across, he'd probably mm -hmm. just, like, talk to me like, yeah. another guy, because you have a relationship. Sure. And there's a matter, there's a line of trust. Right. Like, like th th there were some things. I'll give you another example. Uh, they drafted David Robinson. He, he was going to have, this might be the biggest story I ever broke in my life, and I was like 26 years old. So they were, he was going to have to sit out for two years. Right. And I think it was Pop. It might have been somebody else. Uh, the statute of limitations has passed. Yeah. Said, uh, you may want to get a hold of, of David's dad um, and get his number on the aircraft carrier. He was on an aircraft carrier off the coast of Orion Port, in Georgia, David Robinson was because he was so tall he couldn't do anything else. Right. Um, and so I said, okay. So anyway, long story short, I do a ship to shore call uh, to the whatever admiral, captain, whatever of the ship. Tell them the whole story. They get back to me. Call them back when they tell tell me to call them back. I get with David Robinson. I hear that you're not going to have to stay in your commitment. And he didn't really know me that well then. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously you get to be real close to the guys when you're traveling with them, but at that point he didn't. Your dad said da 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 da, and he goes, "Oh, yeah, that's gonna that that's gonna happen." So I I was the first person to 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 report that David Robinson wasn't gonna have to you know adhere to his his naval commitment, and uh, so that was that was that was cool. huge trust. Yes, that was just trust. All right, how do you get to Houston from there? So I'm covering the Spurs in uh, 1989, and uh, I had won a couple of awards. I won back-to-back -to -back Texas Headliners Awards, which you may not know, but it's kind of a big deal. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and so at the one of the whatever you know dinners for the awards, I mean, here's this 20. What was it, in 1990? I was 20. In 1989, I was 27. 27-year-old kids won back-to-back -back Headliners Awards. The editor-in-chief, not the sports editor, from the Houston Chronicle uh, came over to my table and and just kind of started chatting it up, you know, or whatever. Well, and a week later, they just, Dan Cunningham, who had already moved to the Chronicle uh, from San Antonio, said, we want to interview you to be, you know, features writer, college football, and Olympics. And I was like, oh, heck yeah. And so the best twist to that was a week before that, the Miami Herald called me in and wanted to interview me. And it was the job that ultimately became Scott Fowler's in Miami mm -hmm. and ultimately Dan Lebitard. It went from, and again, statute of limitations <laughs> has passed. Yeah. They actually offered me the job uh, before Scott Fowler. He, he got the job that I was going to get, and we were this close to taking it, but we had just had Jacob, my oldest, 
and Jan wanted to have more kids. And I said, Houston or San Antonio, Houston or San Antonio, Houston. I wasn't tied to any to, to Texas. It was just Houston was going to be closer to grandparents. Right. And so we decided to come to Houston. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I could have been, we could have been having this discussion in Miami. Yeah, I could have still been there. Yeah. It would have happened anyway. See, yeah. that's the serendipity of it. All right, so you're at the Chronicle. How long does it take you to become a columnist? Seven years. I was there from 1990, six, six and a half years. I was there from 1990 to 1992. Yeah, I was there for 17 years, but from 1990 to 1996, right after the uh, Atlanta Olympics, um, I guess Ed Fowler was moving on. Yep. And and I didn't really think I had a job. I was loving my job. I mean, I covered mm -hmm. national. This was when newspapers had money. Right. Like, I was going, like, basically, I was picking what game do you want to cover? Catholics versus convicts. I was there. You know, every week, Colorado and Michigan. I was there. You know, the, wow. the, the Westbrook game. Um, or the, however you want to put it. Yeah. No, I got you. <laughs> and, like, the, the national college football game every week. And I was traveling the world. And I had never really left, you know, Texas. Right. Uh, but I was going, you know, to I was in Italy in, in 90 for the World Cup. And then 92 um, was Barcelona. 94 was Nagano, Japan. 96 was Atlanta. And I and, and so I was like loving life and it was easy. And I was never really home um, except for during the week. Um, and they offered me the columnist job just out of the blue. But I, part of what I told them was I want to still do the Olympics and the World Cup. Yeah. I love that stuff. I'm right. really excited about the World Cup coming to Houston and, and this building. Um, so I did the World Cup, you know, like I said, in those areas. And uh, the United States in 94, uh, 98 was France. Mm -hmm. we, we took all three kids to France with us on that trip. Uh, 02 was Korea. 06 was Germany, I believe. And I, they're all kind of running together. And then on top of that, all the Olympic games. So that's where I really got to cover the world. Wow. So you did all that <laughs> stuff. How different is it? So for people who don't know, you're on a radio show every day. Mm -hmm. And you got to have takes and things like that, opinions. That versus being a columnist where it might not be as many words because you're not on for four <laughs> hours. It's not four hours of words in a column, yeah. but it's got to be different and really good because it's immortalized, if you will, in yeah. writing. So how, what's the difference there? Explain it to us. I, I think, you know, you, you open a vein for a column, like, okay. like the, the research and the make sure you turn in the phrases the right way and you're building the story the right way and, and all that. I think you just kind of open your heart on radio. Okay. You know, you, you, you like, like you, you, I'm literally like, I would sweat sometimes writing a column. Um, and then it's not like verbal vomit, but you just really open your heart on radio. I think they're both equally difficult in their own ways. Mm -hmm. But um, I, when we made that decision to go from uh, what I'd done since, since seventh grade, uh, but I had already had a taste of radio, I was actually pretty confident. I mean, we had saved a little bit of money to, to kind of tide us over if, if we ever ran short. But uh, ultimately, you know, we started making money, too. All right. So I've read your stuff, right? <laughs> I've read My Life in the Fast Lane, yeah. Taking Flack, Dan Pastorini. Love yeah. that book. Of course, I love Dante. And I was doing the show with you right around the time you were writing that. Yeah. So I remember you sharing some of that. 
Your voice in writing, it reads differently than the way you come across. Everybody on the air. says that. Well, I think this happens with a lot of writers, though. Yeah. Why is that? Why is a writing voice different from a spoken voice? I, I really I don't really don't know other than I think it's more brain than heart, like I said. Mm -hmm. You know, like like you like when I have time to prepare something uh, in the written form, it's like I really, really dig in. You know, I really, really mm -hmm. dig in. Whereas this is, as you know me off air, I mean, I'll say anything. You yeah. know? <laughs> <laughs> right. And I have. Yeah. Uh, and so that kind of was like what opened my eyes. Like, I can do radio. Yeah. Uh, everybody thinks radio is easy. It's not, as you well know. Um, but if you have that gene where you're just like, Bleh, you know, <laughs> just, <laughs> right. just say what's on your mind. Might as well make money doing it. <laughs> like, I can think about a column, and I think it'll be pretty good. Um, but when I don't think and I'm just off the cuff, right? I think I, I can do that enough. Uh, the Carrie Strug book. Yeah. What's going on with that? All right. So COVID, uh, well, first of all, I wrote the book after 96. Right. That's a great story. Tremendous story. Uh, no, how I got the book. Okay. How'd you get the book? So I had, I had, I was got a soft spot for the underdogs as a lot of people do, but yeah. I really did for Carrie. Something about her. I just love that little girl. She's 40-something now. But anyway, uh, I hit it off with her dad, who was a heart surgeon and still with us. You're in, covering the Olympics in, at the time. In Arizona. No, I was talking about going up to the Olympics. Okay. When she was 14 years old, when she was at Bella Curley's ranch. Right. Up in, uh, so he had the ranch already. Yeah, then. he had the ranch already. And so I was like going out there occasionally to do some stories, maybe three four times a year. And Kim Zemeskel was there, and Dominic Mochiano was there, and all these superstars were there. And then there was Carrie Strug, who was a superstar in her own right, but very, very shy, very, very uh, kind of second on the pecking order from all them. Uh, Dominic Dawes, all those. Mm -hmm. And I did a couple of stories on her because I just liked her, and she was really powerful, like really, really powerful. She was very, very Simone Biles-like on the vaults, mm -hmm. you know. And I loved her dad. I'm, I knew her mom. I, I, like, I loved her mom. Um, so anyway, fast forward, I'm covering her for two or three years leading up to the Olympics, including the Olympic trials, which were in Indianapolis. And so we get to Barcelona. This is the first one, not 96. She misses the all-around finals by, I think it was like 0 .002 points. And she's in the back of the room, and I'm in the press conference, because the they only had the people that made it on the, on the dais. And I, and I just kind of hear, oh, yeah, <laughs> completely by herself. Ooh. And I did something that maybe not, I mean, it was just instinctive, but maybe not some people would, would, would frown upon it, I'll put it that way. I got up, I walked to the back row, and I just kind of tapped her on the shoulder and kind of consoled her and all that stuff. And, uh, and so then fast forward again, and I'm still covering her, to 96. And she hits this vault, for those who don't know, that clinched the first ever gold, team gold medal for the United States in, in gymnastics. Overnight, like overnight, She's like this sensation. Today Show mm -hmm. wants her, Good Morning America, Time Magazine, Sports Illustrated, Saturday Night Live, all this other stuff. So the next day after that, that I wrote that story, I get a, uh, this was early cell phone days, so I didn't have a cell phone. But the lady in, I was at the track venue, and I was covering, I think it was Randy Barnes in the shot put. And... Is there a John Lopez? John Lopez. John, she's carrying a phone. You know how they used to do that? <laughs> like at a restaurant? John yes. Lopez. I raise my hand and say, I'm right here. It brings me the phone. It's Carrie's mom. Like in a panic. I thought something happened. And, and she's like, John, we don't know what to do. We have 262 messages on the hotel phone, and we don't know what to do, and agents, and this and that, and all these other people, and Good Morning America, and all this. I was like, 
don't worry, I'll make a call and I'll see what I can do. So the only agent I really knew well was uh, Lee Steinberg from my football. Mm, yeah. I got a hold of Lee Steinberg, classic, classic uh, agent stuff, like yeah. Jerry Maguire. Right. I tell him the whole story, I'll be there tomorrow. Like, wow. like out of a movie. <laughs> and he was there the next day, so Lee Steinberg picked me up. We went to the house where the group was staying. He basically booked Kerry Strug with one of his other agents that's more familiar with that type of stuff. Fast forward another six months, I'm sitting in my office in Kingwood at the time. Phone rings, pick it up, John Lee Steinberg. I'm like, what's going on? He goes, I got some good news and some bad news. I said, all right, what's going on? He goes, the good news is they want to uh, uh, give Kerry Strug, they want Kerry Strug to write a book. I said, that's awesome. The bad news is she said she's only going to write it. If, she's only going to do it if you write it. And I was like, "How is that bad news?" <laughs> and yeah, so exactly. that was my first ever book. So now, it's um, right before COVID. I get a couple of emails from this production company in London. Hey, we want to talk to you about doing a movie. Blah blah blah. And I thought it was spam because you get that a lot when you write a book. It's, I want to market your book. I want to do this. I want to do that. Okay. And it's really just they want your money to whatever. Deleted both of them. No. <laughs> I deleted both emails. <laughs> so then I get another email from the same one. I'm like, all right. So I open it up, and it was Riverstone Pictures and Searchlight, which are like the two yes. monsters. <laughs> like the two monsters. I'm like, okay. Get on a conference call. Uh, they have, they want to have the get the rights to the book so they can write a script and do a movie. And we're absolutely, you know, getting ready to, to, to do this. Olivia Wilde is going to direct it. Whoa. McKenna Grace, who is in Young Sheldon and all this other stuff, is going to be in it and all this other stuff. So then COVID hits, postponed. Then she gets divorced from uh, Ted Lasso or, or whatever. Mm. Postponed again because she wants to spend more time with her family. But as of today, they're still going to do the movie. It's just been in pre-production and been delayed. All right, so that's good news. Now, take me back to five years in Houston without professional football, maybe even before that. Mm -hmm. Oilers leaving. You don't know what's going to happen. You have to write about everything. So yeah. you must have written a lot about that at the time, that, hey, we're about to lose the NFL, and we don't know if it's going to come back. Didn't know about Bob McNair mm -hmm. bringing the NFL back to Houston or not. How was all that going down? What do you recall about that time? I, the big misconception is Houston wasn't supporting the Oilers. Like, okay. the exact opposite was true until Bud Adams, on a preseason game, because he was uh, feuding with then-Mayor Bob Lanier uh, about wanting a new stadium, which, don't get me started on the Astrodome. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> so, and he canceled a preseason game. Right. Because the, he said the turf wasn't adequate. And, and that was it, before the game, so everybody was, was there they, already. Players were suited up. Okay. Yeah, players were suited up, ready to go. He canceled it just as a power move. So from that moment on, then it was having differences to a full all-out war. Okay. So I kind of, we all kind of had a hunch, you know, that, man, he might be he's talking about moving him to Washington and then mm. Jacksonville, uh, even Jacksonville. That was before that, though. Yeah. yeah but then Tennessee was, became real. He ended up doing it and then it was gone. 
And the last year, when everybody knew it was gone, then there were 12,000 people in the stands. Right. Well, why would they want to go? Yeah. You know, the Oilers were off the charts, good or bad. Like, the best thing about the Texans is that, uh, you know, until recently, they've always sold out no matter what. The Oilers were doing that. And people don't remember that. Maybe not full sellouts every year, whatever, a couple of games here and there. But they were fully, fully supported. This city is, as we all know, you know, football crazy, uh, good, bad, or indifferent. So one, that last year was one of the saddest things I've ever seen in my life. I mean, the Astronomers already falling apart. I mean, but Adams, to his credit, it, well, he wasn't altogether wrong. Mm-hmm. But it was just how they handled it. Uh, and it was a baseball configuration. They had to move the seats and all that stuff. Yeah. And so, yeah. But it was really one of the saddest things. And then it's gone. And uh, you know, me on a daily basis, I, I was still covering all the other stuff and covering some NFL games here and there. Um, McLean was covering national uh, games. Right. But the best thing that, that came out of that, you know, outside of, of you know, where we're sitting now, was I, I really got a good uh, feel and relationship with, with Bob McNair. Um, I, I remember I, they, they sent me because I was doing these enterprise stories and all this other stuff. What are the chances? There was a long gap of there was no chance. Okay. There was no, not even any movement. There wasn't even Bob McNair, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the public eye. Uh, and then all of a sudden he comes around. I forget the timeline. I'd screw it up if I tried to guess. Uh, he comes around. And I remember I went to some owners meetings in Kansas City uh, to, to really meet him and sit down with, with Bob for the first time. And this must have been 90... Nine? Does that sound right? Well, ninety nine is when they got it, so maybe it was spring of ninety nine. Yeah. It was no, it must have been ninety eight. It was okay. about a year before. All right, it was about a year before, so it was ninety eight, and I was talking to a writer, and I can't remember his name. Nobody likes him from the L.A. Times. Anyway, I'll, I'll think of it in a second, and and he actually looked at me and said, "Why are you here?" I was like, "Well, you know, Houston. I think there was another city. You know, L.A. They wanted L.A. I mean, they, they wanted, wanted L.A. LA. Yeah. That 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 is not misreported. They wanted mm-hmm. to put this franchise in L.A., uh, but they had like two warring ownership groups potentially, and they didn't have you know their financing all lined up. And he goes, Houston is not getting the franchise. Um, you know the writer. I wish I could remember it. But anyway, Sam Farmer." No, it was the one that nobody likes. Pre-Sam. Pre-Sam. Yeah, because I think people like Sam. Yeah. And so, and then and then I sat down with Bob uh, in the lobby. I mean, it was like, it wasn't a big, you know, it was just like sitting, it wasn't like now. Mm-hmm. And so in the lobby with another couple of writers. Um, and I sat with Bob for the first time. And, and I'd kind of met him, but didn't really talk with him a lot. Um, and I remember walking away after about 30, 45 minutes thinking, they got a real shot here. This guy is not mm-hmm. playing. I mean, they got a real shot here. Not to the point that I would predict it, but from that moment on, I knew they, that, that, that the Texans had a real shot. And I and then stories started coming out about Bob and what he was going to do and his background. And I did a big story in that story about where you know how he grew up and all that stuff and how he was self-made. And uh, Cogen, I guess, was uh, yes. Cogen was was his big company there. But he started out with like one uh, basically U-Haul. You know, right. type of truck and, and all that. So it was a really good story, really, really good to, to get to know him. And then over the course of time, I go to another owner's meeting, and this must have been early 99 when there was a lot of traction. And, and I don't know if it was that day or not, but I, we somehow found out that, uh, was it $800 million? 700 700 that he yes. paid for it. Cash. Mm. I mean... <laughs> 
<laughs> so I was pre-approved. like, <laughs> I was like, that works. He had his pre-approval letter. <laughs> yeah, that works. I was waiting to see like actual cash. Oh, you know, so, so, <laughs> a couple of suitcases. Uh, so they, so they, it was, it was one of the biggest upsets in the history. You know, people say, what's the biggest upset in Houston sports history? It's Houston getting the Texans. Wow, that's good. That's a good one. I like that. Yeah, it, it was Houston getting the Texans. You know, the I'll be using it. <laughs> it's the biggest upset. Make a note in the history. You can talk all you want, you know, about other things. It was Houston getting the Texans. It, they, they wanted them that bad. They had the it was some Hollywood producer and another guy. They were warring over in L.A. Um, and here comes Bob McNair. Boom. And the city reacts splendidly. Ridiculous. Yeah, I actually thought that there was going to be some reluctance, like. These aren't the Oilers. They're going to mm. stink. You know, are they playing pretend here, you know, in terms of, like, we're legit and all that? Mm. What's Bob McNair going to be as an owner? Uh, and I thought it wouldn't, like, hit like it did. But then I went to the uh, uniform reveal. I don't know what the number was, but it was thousands of people there. Yeah. Like, there were that, well, you were there, I think. No, I wasn't there, but yeah. I, I've seen the footage of yeah. that. That's right around the time that I was exploring Getting, the opportunity yeah, yeah. of coming here <laughs> when I was in Miami. All right, a couple of random things, just bouncing things around. And that's not a beer. That's the water here <laughs> at uh, NRG Stadium. Yeah, tell them that. <laughs> that's that's the water containers, the aluminum bottles. Oh, this uh, water's got some good hops. <laughs> no. <laughs> Okay. It's water. All right. So uh, NHL, because Bob and I think Chuck Watson, who owned the Arrows mm -hmm. eventually, but they were toying, for lack of a better verb, yeah. with the idea of the NHL coming to Houston. And this was before the Texans. Yeah. Uh, but I still hear about this. We heard what happened with the Coyotes. Mm -hmm. NHL to Houston is a topic that comes up. Where is your position on this? Could the NHL work in Houston? Do you think it should be in Houston? I think it'll work in Houston because of advertising dollars and television revenue. I would love for it to work in Houston. Mm. I mean, I, I I think I mentioned earlier. I, a lot of times when when you're on when you when you're by yourself covering an NBA beat for you know there's not there's a very limited number of things you can do on off days. Right. I would usually go catch a hockey game, mm -hmm. which was oh, that's how I learned hockey. I really didn't know a lot, but I got to see Gretzky and you know, Lemieux and all that and go to the garden and, and get to learn the game just because you're by yourself. I'm going to buy a ticket and go or horse tracks <laughs> with yeah. the horse tracks, too, because you could have dinner and, 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 and bet on the horses. It's just right. stuff you can do by yourself. So I loved hockey. I covered hockey in the Olympics and the Winter Olympics uh, and really, really, really dug in. I absolutely love hockey. I don't think it would really work here. Only because people say, well, it's a transient community. There's all kinds of, there's no real native Houstonians. Mm -hmm. People from all over the country are going to are gonna fall in love with it and support the team. I mean, maybe, and that, that seems to be the common theme, but I just feel like there's no, like, gene. <laughs> you know, there's, there's, there's no DNA. All right. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and I think they would have to win. Mm -hmm. Um I agree with you, actually. Yeah. They would have to win. They would have to win. Because the, the test is, can you survive? All right, being horrible is tough. It's tough to draw in any market if you're horrible, horrible. Yeah. But if you're 500, could, an, could a 500-type NHL team survive here? I question that. Yeah. You might have to win at a high level. I mean, we're on a high right now with the Astros. Yes. But look at the Astros. Yeah. When they were bad. Right. That was 8,000 people in that. Right. I mean, it's hard to fathom now. Well, you and I doing the morning show, I was doing... 
live reads for the Rockets. Yeah. I'm sure that was very popular over here, by the way. I wonder. <laughs> I never heard how they felt about that. Do one that. now, just for old time's sake. <laughs> just for old time's sake. <laughs> but I remember hot dog night during the playoffs, Yeah. right? Yeah, they're giving giveaways. Yeah, because, you know, look, it's a lot of games to sell out, even mm -hmm. in the postseason. And when you start going every year, it's like, yeah. okay, take me to the championship. And obviously the Astros have been able to do that. All right, you have been covering soccer for a long time. We talked about that a little bit. Now soccer is very in. The Premier League gets a lot of coverage. I was soccer when soccer wasn't cool. Yes, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> that's a better way to say it. You were soccer in this country before a lot of people knew what the Premier League was all about. What's this Barclays Premier League? I don't think Barclays <laughs> sponsors it anymore. But it started to appear on NBC Sports Network mm -hmm. or whatever it was. And yeah, now it's just crazy. And you have Ryan Reynolds owning a team yeah. and all this other stuff. You have J.J. Watt owning a piece of a team. What about soccer in this country? Where is it going, in your opinion? You look at MLS. Everybody's got a stadium now. It feels like the yeah. Dash. I went to a Dash game recently. It was fun. I had a good time. Where is soccer going in this country? The MLS will never compete, ever. And, and I am beyond a soccer fan. Mm -hmm. Here's what I think would work. Everybody talks about, well, they're going to put an NFL division in, in England or in Europe. Mm -hmm. They're going to move the Jacksonville Jaguars to Europe. I could see some of these championship division teams, which is right below the Premier League, mm -hmm. coming to the United States. Ooh, and still playing over there a little bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. See, now, I'd the like problem this is, idea. The problem is sometimes you play two games in a week, so it would have to be a scheduling thing where they come, you know, yeah. they're here for two, uh, sure. two weeks or whatever. But bring four of them over. Because then they have relegation, which for some unknown reason, I have no idea why the United States doesn't do that. Relegation is one of the greatest thing in sports. It's so cool. It is. It's so so cool. one of those teams that has been relegated to the championship level, I think that's what they call it still, would be in the United States with a chance to go be a Premier League team. Right. Now, oh. they would not. They would be much more reluctant to do that there than here because it's their sport and yeah. they look down their noses at us. But that, you ask what would work? That would work. That would drive up the value of every franchise. That would work. Everything. Yeah. Every Preseason games against MLS teams with the real stars. You know, yeah. real games. Man City, which they were, they've won three straight championships now. My team is Liverpool, coming over here for a week to play two teams, you yeah. know, or something regular like that. Regular season, because we're getting in the summer, in the we're, regular we're getting season, another big yeah. one here with yeah. Real Madrid and Manchester United. But I get what you're saying, yeah. that it would draw a lot of attention. Both, both shores, yeah. both shores would yeah. benefit from that. I like this idea a lot. And I like Ted Lasso a lot. I think that oh, I pop culture Lasso. has done so much for soccer. That show has done so much for mm -hmm. soccer. Ryan Reynolds yep. has done a lot for soccer. As far as, yeah, as far as people <laughs> in this country, getting them to pay attention to what's going on. And it's the off-field stuff. Mm -hmm. Like Ted Lasso, which isn't a real team with Richmond, but they play real teams, yeah. figuratively speaking. And I think when you look at what F1, that series on Netflix, did for that sport. L that's and, a great example. Yeah, and yeah. but that kind of stuff works for the soccer community as well. Here's the other thing about soccer, and I, and I get so frustrated with this. People are like soccer. Soccer will never take uh, take you know be big in, in in the United States. Soccer will never be big in the United States. It is. It's here. Yeah, it is. Here. It's, it's here. here. It's it is big. It's huge. Have you seen the numbers? I feel like it's bigger than the NHL. Just because the MLS isn't mm -hmm. you know at that level right. and doesn't have you know that yeah. kind of support. Dude, you, you look at the NBC's numbers because I do this every pretty much during football season. I do this every Sunday when the Texans are on the road. I turn on the TV at 8 a.m. because you can watch, yeah, you know, Premier League. It's on live, yeah. yeah. And especially if Liverpool's playing, I turn it on at 8 a.m. Takes two hours. That's the other great thing. I mean, it is. You're in, you're out. Right. Boom. Uh, and it's like baseball now. 
and then it goes right into the pregame show. Yeah. yeah I mean, you got a, you got a day there. No, huh? it, it is nice, and I think that – I don't think MLS is as big as the NHL, though, maybe in some markets. Yeah. But the sport of soccer – It's here. It is here. It is here. People are really into it. Yeah. Obviously, the NFL is king. Mm-hmm. All right, a couple of other things on the way out here. Yeah. Because uh, we have to catch up. What are you watching on TV these days? You mentioned Ted Lasso. Awesome show. Apple TV. By the way, they have the MLS deal. Not That part of it's not going so well. Yeah. MLS – Learn from the NHL. They went away for a long time. They're on ESPN now. It's wonderful for them because you get what I call drive-by viewership. Yeah. Channel surfing, which many people still do, believe it or not, Mm -hmm. and they'll find the game. So what are you watching on TV? So Ted Lasso, yesterday I was off Twitter almost all day long because apparently there was a great ending episode. But I'm on season three. Or season oh, two. Oh, oh. And I don't oh. want any spoilers. Is that the final? Final? That's the finale? I don't know this if it was week? the finale, but it was like oh, the season okay. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I like, I don't want to know. I don't, don't want to know. know so Ted Lasso is on the top of our list because we're just really kind of getting into it in the last okay. couple of months. Um, I was, I caught up and I, I'm, t- I'm doing all my binges here. Um, I did Veep and I went through five seasons or seven seasons or whatever that was. Of the more current shows, um, have you seen Veep. Jury Duty? I've heard about oh this. Oh my gosh. Is that, that Netflix? Is such a I think it's like on Freevee. Okay. I just did it only because of I'll the recommendation. Uh Jury Duty is is I awesome. I heard it's funny. Oh, it's and the last episode is the best episode. Um and but it's it's awesome. I'm trying to think of like more current ones cuz I'm really a binge guy. Succession. Succession I'm not, but I'm te- I'm I'm we're we're going there. Okay. You know, we got to catch it. it's yeah. like, it's on the menu. Yeah. <laughs> we're yeah. just not You like there. the dialogue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a big, you know, the writing is, is all about that. Um I'm trying to think of any other. What what other, what do you want? Have, uh I like Succession. Billions, I don't think they're going to bring it back and they shouldn't because the last season was just garbage. Uh, look, after Better Call Saul ended, yeah. I really kind of checked out. Yeah. Succession was the one thing I jumped back in on, mm-hmm. and Ted Lasso, but that's a different kind of show. Yeah. Uh, now, the episodes are longer this season. In season three, you're going to notice they're oh, really? longer. Yeah, they get more like 50 minutes, an hour. Okay. It's different. It's a different watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know what I'm showing Vanderkid 2 now, who's 10 years old? Believe it. I have a 10-year-old kid. <laughs> I've shown him old classic shows, Gilligan's Island, oh, yeah. stuff like that. Oh, yeah. It works well with him. Fubo has a lot of those, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think it is. Yeah, Fubo. I believe that's We've been on, on Everybody Loves or Raymond Tubi. Kick. It's, it's Tubi. It is Tubi. Tubi's it is Tubi. One. Tubi or not Tubi. Yeah. So Tubi has some commercials, but it's a great way to watch old shows. It, yeah. works, it works fantastic. Gilligan's Island is the best. All right, so... Fiction. Have you written fiction, and would you be tempted if you haven't? I have one in my on my laptop uh, right now that is probably 60 70% done. I'm just trying to figure out which way I want to go now. Okay. Uh, with How it. hard is it to write dialogue? Um, no, that's the best. I'm, I'm strong on that. The, the story I'm writing right now is kind of like fiction based on truth. Um, and it, it's, a, it's, it's based around football, but not really. Mm. Uh, in South Texas, like in the 40s and, and earlier, but, but especially in the 40s, everything that uh, African-American athletes went through in the 60s, Hispanic athletes were going through in the 40s. Oh. You could only go to school to eighth grade. You were not allowed to go to high school. What? And it's the story of a guy that was so talented that they changed the rules of high school so he could go to high school. And that, like, almost by, by accident, he 
was a barrier breaker for like everyone in South Texas. Wait, was, so this is a true story. It's based on a true story. All right. Uh, this and, is a movie. Uh, is, yeah, it's already sold. Yeah. I want to buy the well, screenplay. Well, the first scene, the first chapter, is when he's in eighth grade, and there was these old. Con- remember the old concrete? Um, and this story is true. I was told this story, but I put it in the book. Um, the old concrete bleachers. Yeah. So he and his his brother were playing tops, you know, with the string and sure. on the on the concrete bleachers. The football high school football team was practicing at the time on the field, and so they and he was real cocky, uh, and so he the team started running up for run, lining up for sprints, and and he was telling his brother, "I can beat all those guys. I can beat all those guys," and so they would line up for sprints, and he was he was on the top of the bleachers on the top step of the concrete bleachers, and when the coach would blow the whistle, he would run with the team. Oh, in the same direction, same distance. Yeah, and okay. beat them every time. And they noticed this. And the coach noticed this. Oh, this is a great scene. And the coach noticed this and said, hey, uh, you know, do you ever think about it? He goes, well, I can't. You know, I go, to the, I go to the Mexican school. That's what they called it, the Mexican school. And that starts the ball rolling. And his mom wanted him to go to high school. So she, she basically uh, petitioned the school board. No, 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 no. And it goes on from there. But anyway, it, yeah, it's kind of like. What a great story. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my so, gosh. Yeah, so Go I, finish this right now. I know. I need, this is I good. Need to get, but you got me inspired now. Yes. I just need that last twist. I need that last that last angle. Yeah. Well, you know what? They're going to change it anyway once they buy the screenplay. <laughs> 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 they always do. John, thanks so much for the yeah, time. Yeah, man. This is awesome. It's great seeing you again and obviously getting behind the microphone with you again. Oh, we got to do it again. We yeah. will very What's soon. What's Andre's future? No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> How about John Dray? <laughs> I don't know anything about the draft. And now on the <laughs> sideline, it's the Chupacabra, John Lopez. Yeah. All right, that's it for the podcast. Thanks for listening. Check out all the other Texans podcasts wherever you've got this one. Have a great day. Go Texans.